it's almost like clockwork. I'll be giving a speech, teaching a workshop about public speaking and storytelling, and the inevitable question comes up. How do I give a TED Talk? How do I give a TEDx Talk is usually what they're asking. People are obsessed with these short, quippy, helpful, informative talks. From watching them to making them, we are obsessed with them. The organization has been around since 1984, but it's really since the year 2000 with the advent of the internet and the creation of YouTube that we've seen a huge growth in the TED organization and the TEDx speeches that have made so many people really, really popular in the world. And so what does it take to actually do it? Why do we love them? What's going on and how do we have a shot of creating them? Not only do we see TEDx style talks at TED events, We see them all over the place. I was recently speaking at an HR conference and they had a stage that was devoted to these 10 to 15 minute talks sharing quick, short ideas. I was recently speaking to a group that does real estate training and they even have a group of folks that come to their conferences and do these short TED style talks around different topics. So why are we so obsessed with them as a public? Why are we so obsessed with giving them? And how do we even start thinking about what it takes to put it together? Well, this is the first part of a two-part series. I dive into this with my frequent co-conspirator and partner in crime, Chloe DeVita from Perceptive Presence. We dive deep on this, breaking it down and looking at it. And we'll be back with part two in episode 16 of the Mic Drop Moment, where we'll go further into how to memorize your talk, how to put stories and data in your talk, and what to do to really make a splash with your TED-style talk, whether it is on one of the TEDx stages or at one of the many conferences that are hosting these. And also in this episode, don't forget, it's a Wine and Wisdom Wednesday episode, so I have a really fun kind of appropriately named wine to share with you. Hint, hint. <laughs> Let's roll the credits and get into my conversation with Chloe DeVita. So you have a story to tell and you wonder how to own the stage and give that killer speech that will captivate the masses. You don't just want to speak to them. You want to transform your audience. Welcome to the Mic Drop Moment. Bold conversations about public speaking, storytelling, and business that give you real-world valuable takeaways so you can craft a speech, a story, a business, and a life that the world can't stop talking about. It's time to find your Mic Drop Moment. Here is your host, Mike Ganino. Maybe let's start with this idea of from an audience perspective, from people that are watching these like TED style, TEDx talks, because there's so many on the internet. Chloe actually has been doing a huge research project around <laughs> this. So she's been steeped yeah. in this. But what do you think it is that made what do you think it is that like made these so popular that that got people so hooked on mm-hmm. them, sharing them? And uh, and then we could talk about why people wanted to do them and then whether it's worth doing today still, if it still yeah. means anything. So what do you think is that? So why people like it and the fact that it is taking off, like you talked about other events, like I know Alt Summit is doing this. They're doing this many thing. I know in the pet industry, Banfield Foundation just put on their first, they're calling it their first, so I'm assuming there'll be more, event with just like this, where six speakers got up and gave short talks. It's called Woof Bark Meow. And so it's, I think it's the idea of bite-sized content. Like in general, I think people like things bite-sized. You know, we see miniature things and we like them. We just are drawn into that. And 
it feels more accessible, I think, to an audience member to sit and listen to a talk that's 10, 12, 15 minutes and feel like you can take away from it something that shifts your perspective. And that's harder to do when you're like at an event and you're sitting at a conference and you've got keynote after keynote or session after session. You're often looking for what's the one thing I can take away because I can only remember the one thing. And when we kind of bring the timing down and you focus, that's one of the key things. You have to focus on the one idea, the one thing that you want people to know and go deep on it. It allows people the ability to remember more, connect with it more, and then feel like it shifted them more. And I think that's a big goal of everybody that wants to step on a stage and do a talk like that, is they're trying to get people to shift their perspective somehow. Well, and I think too, there's, I mean, there are times I know when I read a book, like I'll get mm -hmm. a business book. I'm really bad with this. Uh, and I'll read like Daily. the first, <laughs> stop. <laughs> There's only a few back here that you can see. I will show you the rest. Um, I, you know what? I've actually started going to the library because oh. the library is great. I can just give them back. I don't mm -hmm. have to them. And this is why that's good because what often happens to me is that I read like a chapter or two and I mm -hmm. get it. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, I get it. I'm good. Yep. And I think, and and I and often what I think is, oh, this should have been like. At Harvard Business Review article. Like this should have been a Rolling Stone length article and we're mm -hmm. really working to get a whole book out of this. Mm -hmm. It happens to me a lot. So it's nice the library because I can just go take the book back after I get the point. But I think the same happens sometimes for talks. Sometimes yeah. people think in a 60 minute talk or a 90 minute keynote, oh, what do I need to put in here? And there's something cool about streamlining that to 18, 15, 12, eight, five minutes. That's What's the what's the thing? If I want more, I can find more. But what is the, what am I supposed to see here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Because that's that's sort of the. I was telling you before we got on and went live, we were having a little talk about TED in general. Because TED specifically stands for Technology Education and Design, and the in the beginning, that's those were their three main categories. That was it. They wanted everything to fall under that, and since they've expanded a ton, which I think opens the door for everyone to go, okay, it's not just about those things, it's about everything. Now there's social issues. Now there's um, starting to get into like what it means to have aquaculture, what space, you know, what's going on in space. There's so many different um, topic areas. And I think people in general, now that the world is this like 24 seven news cycle, availability of learning anything exists, like just by going to your computer, they're more interested in feeling like they've got a diverse set of skills and, and topics to speak about. And having these short, these short talks gives people access to that to say, oh my gosh, I do know something. Cause I know that's something I've experienced through all the work we've done with TEDx Cambridge. Yeah. You know, a lot of those speakers come from Harvard and MIT. They're very research specific, but all of a sudden I know things about Alzheimer's. I never knew. I know about aquaculture, which I didn't know about before. There's all these topics that come up that make me feel like, oh, if anybody starts talking about that, I actually could say something because of what I learned in that short amount of time. And because it was so specific and about one thing that dove deep, then I can repeat something and feel like I've got something to add to the conversation. Yeah. And, and I think for probably a lot of people, that idea of like, oh, okay, I get it. And this has encouraged me to think more about it or to go out and do something with mm -hmm. 
is much easier to take in a 12 or 15 minutes to say, Ooh, that's just what I needed to yeah. explore. I, I would be interested actually on like YouTube, for example, mm -hmm. how often the videos that pop up are people searching for help with something. Mm -hmm. And it's not just random, like kind of, I fell in a rabbit hole and here I am watching a video on aquaculture, but it's actually <laughs> someone looking up, how do I, how do I break through, uh, why, why don't I, why don't I keep my resolutions, uh, like Amanda, yeah. where mm -hmm. she spoke about why we don't do what we say we'll do. Mm -hmm. I think people are probably looking for that or, you know, Mel Robbins talk or Laura Gaster Audings talk. I think that people probably were looking for something and they found an answer in that 10, 12, 15 minute video. Mm -hmm. And now I can go on my way and do what you recommended I do or learn more if I want to mm -hmm. learn more. Mm -hmm. Yes. It opens the door. It's, it's interesting though. So now mm -hmm. we have all of these short talks and, mm -hmm. and it's actually harder to give. I think people come in and they think, yeah. Oh, great. Only 15 minutes. <laughs> it's harder than a 60 minute talk. Yeah. Like I love the days where I, you know, like when I'm traveling and, and we've talked about this, we're traveling and we're going to go give a workshop. We're going to go teach mm -hmm. public speaking or storytelling somewhere to a company, a company has brought us in. It's much, if, if I'm flying to Chicago anyway, mm -hmm. I'm not going to come back home in the day. So I'm mm -hmm. going to stay all day anyway. Sometimes it's much easier to do a workshop than a keynote because it's <laughs> like, ah, we got time. We're going to, we're going to sort through this together when a keynote is, um, I, I find it, it is more stressful. Yeah. And then a 15 minute version of that would be even more stressful, but mm -hmm. I think people struggle with the idea of like, oh, this is going to be easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be quick, but it's hard to, I mean, I find, and, and we've seen this with TEDx Cambridge often having to tell people take stuff out. Yep. This doesn't fit the talk. Mm -hmm. This doesn't serve your big idea mm -hmm. um, because I think people want to put all of the things in. Yeah. Well, when your idea is yours and you're so close to it and you're so connected to it, you tend to feel like all of the things matter. Every little detail, every little story, every little point, all of the things have to be crammed in there. And in reality, when you very first started and got the idea, you sort of have to take yourself back to that moment and say, well, what was it that really pushed me to want to get that deep in it? Because that's where you have to bring your audience so that yeah. they get that curious. And it means not overwhelming them and really just taking the one thing, going deep with it and having them be able to leave knowing exactly what your point was. What is your idea? Like that's a key thing. If your audience can't get up and say, oh my gosh, Mike said, this and I totally relate to that. If they're like, well, I feel like it was this, and then he talked about that, but then it went here and there, then you've only confused them. Yeah. Well, and it's hard for someone to spread your idea. If the idea is an idea worth spreading, mm -hmm. then people need to be able to leave spread. and spread the idea. Yeah. And it's really hard to do that if the idea is uh confusing or mm -hmm. broad and not specific and unclear. And it's like mm -hmm wait, were they saying that we should do this or was it about that? And then there was that part about the dogs and what's going on? I mean, <laughs> right. I love a part about dogs, but sometimes it doesn't fit. Yep. That's why I love to say choreograph your content. And that's in all the ways, you know, as a dancer coming to it and having choreographed many a dances for not just myself, but groups of dancers, you have to think about how it all fits and how it all moves and how it all supports and moves along with the music and speakers 
have words that they're trying to get out in a fashion that's easy for an audience to digest and make sure that they're not, you know, having some interlude that goes down some rabbit hole that just completely confuses everybody. Yeah. One of the things that people often get confused about is thinking that a TED style talk or a short kind of 10 to 15 minute idea based talk is just a short version of a keynote. But it really isn't. Again, a keynote is often uh, the key note of a conference. It's about mm -hmm. setting a tone uh, and not necessarily always about giving people an idea we're spreading or something to do, but sometimes about the key note of a conference. And, mm -hmm. a, and a TED talk, a TEDx talk, these are really a short talk, a 15 minute talk of any style mm -hmm. should really be about what is that one idea that we need to get people to understand mm -hmm. and how do we best package that so they walk away able to do that. Yeah. And I think one of the important things in that, because we definitely have people who think, well, I've got a keynote, so I can just accordion it down into this little, you know, shorter talk and I'm good. And it isn't like that. And it doesn't mean that you don't have an idea within your keynote that could be what you want your idea to be to talk about, but you don't get to just slash this and add that and get to it. You have to take that out. It's like a module that you take out and you go, okay, now I have to actually flesh this out into the short talk. You know what that sound means here on the Mic Drop Moment. It means it is time for a little wine as part of the Wine and Wisdom Wednesdays. And this week I have a really fun wine based on the way we're talking and what we're talking about. This one is a blend. And you know, if you've listened to previous episodes, I love a blend. I especially love a GS. M blend. GSM stands for Grenache Syrah Morvedra, and it's a blend that's really common in the south of France. It's also uh, common in Central Coast, so from Paso Robles all the way down to Santa Barbara, you'll see quite a bit of this, and it is one of my favorites. I think it pairs nicely with food, and it also can be drank on its own. And because those three grapes all add something different, depending on what the percentage of each of the grapes in the wine you can end up with a really different wine, which is what I think is fun. If one GSM at one place is never going to be exactly like another, there's a lot of style that can go into it. You can really choose how you want it to be. Now, this one is really, really fun. The GSM that I'm pairing today comes from Cass Winery, which is in Paso Robles, which is in the uh, kind of north end of Central Coast in California. So it's from Cass Winery, and the wine, you'll never believe what it's called. It's the 2016 Rockin' Ted. Yeah, that's right. I said Rockin' Ted. We have this whole episode talking about TED Talks and TED Inspire Talks, and I am drinking a wine called the Rockin' Ted. So this is the 2016 Rockin' Ted from Cass Winery, and it's actually based on the name of one of the owners. Steve Cass and Ted Plemons are the two, uh, two of the owners of, of the winery, and so this Rockin' Ted is kind of a reserve uh, proprietary blend that they've put together that is um, super delicious. Anyway, so a GSM blend. This one is aged in new oak for quite a while. So when it comes to oak, there's new oak and there's old oak. And new oak is going to give it more of those kind of like toasty, oaky flavors that you've experienced in wine, whereas neutral oak, which is oak that's been used before, is just going to kind of soften the tannins and, you know, add a little bit of oakness to it, but you're not going to notice it a lot. And this wine, what I'm getting from the oak is like this kind of... um 
I don't know, like like crumble, like a strawberry or blueberry crumble, like the actual like toasty little crumble that would be on top. That's kind of what the the oak is doing for me here on the palate and and in the nose. The other thing is there's some like kind of sweet hazelnut. So there's like a nuttiness to it, but it's kind of sweet like a hazelnut. I'm loving that. This wine is full of bold, big flavors as well. Grenache, Syrah, Mavedra, those are really giving me a lot of flavor here. Uh, the tannins here are pretty nice, meaning uh, they're there. You'll notice them, but they're also pretty smooth. So I would definitely think that most folks would want to pair this with something toasted or toasted, something roasted. You could toast it too, but something roasted like a roasted meat or some barbecue, maybe some some nice aged cheese. For me, I think that if I was cooking with this, I would go out and I would be grilling, you know, we eat more veg, but I would be grilling some like broccoli, like charring broccoli, charring some peppers, charring some something that has some weight to it, maybe doing like a nice cauliflower steak with chimichurri. But again, if you're into it, some barbecue, some roasted meat, that would be perfect for this. It's got a ton of dark fruit, some campfire smoke. And, you know, I think even though the tannins are, are nice and structured, I think you could drink this on your own. I mean, I'm doing that now. Anyway, to check it out, you can uh, you can go directly to their website, CassWines.com, CassWines.com. I'm planning a little trip next year with a couple of my friends up to Paso, and I think we have to put this winery on the list to visit because you can't, it's hard to find the wine. You can get on their website. It's going to set you back about 75 bucks. So this is definitely like a wine to get when you're ready to, uh, to enjoy, to splurge. But if you're looking for something fun, a nice red for a party or a really cool gift for a friend who recently gave a Ted talk or something, this Cass Wines Rockin' Ted 2016 is I think the answer for you. So anyway, that's what I'm drinking. Now let's go back and talk about Ted some more. So we've talked about audiences loving them. Mm -hmm. We've talked about uh, the way to kind of think of it. Why, why do people, so people are reaching out to us to say, Hey, I want to give a talk. Sometimes mm -hmm. they haven't, uh, they haven't booked an event yet. They haven't booked a, a TEDx event yet. So they might want help figuring out how to do that. Mm -hmm. Or they might've booked one and then they come and say, Hey, I need help with this talk. If the reason the audience likes it is clear, we get it. It's a quick bite-sized idea I can run with. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to think about why are people, speakers, not speakers, people who who just have something they want to do. What is the draw to it? Especially mm -hmm. because it's become somewhat ubiquitous. I mean, you've just spent a couple of weeks looking through all mm -hmm. of the videos, what went viral, what moved, what made it from uh, TEDx, the YouTube channel, to TED, the website, which is one mm -hmm. of the big uh, kind of um, – christenings of a talk in a way it's saying ah this was a good one when mm -hmm. it moved over to ted so what what do you think is in it for people why do you think in this world of ubiquitous short talks mm -hmm. what's in it for people to keep doing this for the most part and i know this probably isn't everybody but for the most part what i see is that even the introverts even the people who are nervous to take the stage and have the fear about it are still passionate about whatever they're saying. Mm. And if they can get more people to sort of get on board with them, buy into whatever their idea is, that feels good. That feels mm. like it gives you a purpose. It, it means that your passion isn't, isn't only a passion, but it's actually something that people want to feel from you and hear from you and that your idea matters. And I think that that's important for people. So even when 
they're not doing it because they need to get, you know, like Mel Robbins, right? Her 18 minute TEDx talk for which the last like 90 seconds are what mattered because it's where she actually talked about the five second rule, which she almost forgot. She almost forgot. Yeah, but she did get to it, but she literally almost forgot the thing that made her blow up. And it's because that's what people connected with. Yeah. And so I think that feels good when you're finally recognized for having a, a, a belief in an idea and people gravitate towards it. Even when you're nervous about putting it out there, when that happens, there's there's a validation in your purpose and your passion and your work. And I think people seek that in some way, shape or form. And this feels like a path to get there. Yeah. And and I think that some people, I think some people think it could be a way to, uh, to launch a mm -hmm. speaking career. I think mm -hmm. the same way that people sometimes think writing a book is going to launch a big career. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's always the case. It's, it's largely because it's so ubiquitous and because we don't really know, I mean, you're working on trying to get deeper on it, I think, mm -hmm. with some of the research, but you don't know what's going to make something go viral. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be the, I, I was speaking, I was talking to, with this to Amanda Crowell and her talk is like, like over 500,000 views. Right. And in the first weekend it went live, it was like tick, 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 growing, growing, growing. And it was like, what was that? And it's mm -hmm. like, it could have been the video that it was paired with that mm -hmm. when it went on YouTube on the side, it was paired with like Mel Robbins video. It could have been that uh, recently the talk is about uh, kind of how to do what you say you will do following mm -hmm. through. So maybe people were looking for, for New Year's resolution. So it's so hard mm -hmm. to know those things, like right. what might happen. Now you can make a, you can build a great talk, you can deliver, you could do all these things, but something going on in the world to make it go viral, you don't know. So the idea of doing a talk as a way to launch a speaking career, mm -hmm. which is a business, I think is very scary and yeah. wrong. Like, it's like saying, I'm going to start a social media marketing agency, but my business plan is just to go viral once and then I'll figure it out. Yep. That's not a business. Yep. Uh, and, and I was talking to you before about someone I was speaking to recently who did a TEDx talk that was not on the thing she does for business. Mm -hmm. The talk went viral and now she's like, great, that's not what I do. So all these people follow me but they don't buy anything for me. They don't buy my services because the talk has nothing to do with that. It's yeah. the danger of, I, I spent last weekend with Brittany Hennessy who wrote the book Influencer. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about, you actually on social media largely don't want to go viral. Mm -hmm. What happens is you get this influx of followers who then are not your people. And so mm -hmm. your engagement goes down. Your, you offer them something and they don't want to buy it. It's like getting a bunch of people on your email list who aren't your customer, and then you're worried about emailing them because they're all going to unsubscribe. Yep, yep. And it's one of the reasons that as you're thinking about if you want to do, a, whether it's a TEDx or you're going to another event where maybe they're making a video, because to me that's one of the key things, is you come out with this product, which is the video, and it's thinking about how are you going to leverage that and use that and not make it be the end all be all. Like it's not necessarily your launch, whether that's because you're speaking about something that isn't the services you offer, or it's just because you don't want to put all your eggs in that basket, but it can be supportive. I have had a couple questions recently around, you know, is it, is TEDx still what it used to be to say you're a speaker like that? Even people talking about, should I even say I'm a public speaker? Does that mean anything anymore? I feel like anybody puts that out there. 
And I think it does. Uh, I don't think dropping the, I don't think diluting the fact that even with it being more popular and more TEDx events popping up, more conferences and other events creating this kind of short talk phenomenon and growing it, it doesn't mean it's reached its peak. It's literally how people like to consume content and it's video. And so it's all still valid. You just have to step into it with the right mindset about why you're doing it and what you want out of it. Well, it's like saying that, that, oh, music has reached its peak because there's so many songs to listen to on Spotify. (laughs) No. Or, or like, I shouldn't write a book Mm -hmm. because there's so many books. No, it it doesn't matter. And the other thing I'll say, this is like a little, did, was part of your research, how many, how many talks were done last year or how many talks were added to YouTube last year? Yes. Or how many there are in total? You know, some in total. I did the total amount of TEDx talks, which was like, oh, it was 1.4 million or something. So 1.4 million that you could find on uh, the internet. Yep. And there are 8 billion people in the world. So Mm -hmm. there's still a lot of people who haven't done it. So it means something. The same way that, like, yeah, if you could sit down and you can, and you can write a book, that still means something. And I know a lot of people Mm -hmm. say, like, oh, anyone can have a book. It's not true. Anyone mm-hmm. can have a book and anyone don't have a book. It's uh, I, I said this the other day about Kylie Jenner uh, mm-hmm. when people were in a backlash last year about her being a self-made billionaire, the youngest self-made billionaire. And people, oh, she didn't do it on her own. And she well, yeah. never did anything on their own. But the reality is she also has a bunch of other sisters who are not billionaires. She mm-hmm. has a brother who's not a billionaire. Mm-hmm. She, ha- they, she has peers out there who are not billionaires. So she did something different even though she had help the same way that I was watching someone and they were talking the same kind of thing about Paris Hilton. Mm. Um, like, uh, she, she has all this. Yeah, but she did things that other people didn't do. There mm-hmm. are other heiresses with a lot of money who don't do what she did. So she still did something. So mm-hmm. I think the, um, if, if you're thinking about doing a TEDx talk, you have an idea that you think is worth spreading, then yeah, there's still room for it. And mm-hmm. yeah, it means something. And yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, if you can tie it to something for yourself, that's great. Yeah. Um, if you can figure out how to build something with it, that's great. Mm-hmm. And even if you you go look online and you find other videos of other people talking about something similar, that doesn't invalidate your view or your idea about it because you can only speak about it in the way that you speak about it. And certain people are going to connect with you. And content is always refreshed. You can find, you know, if you go, that's why if you go search on, on TED.com is a great place or the YouTube TEDx.com with all the videos. Search for like, I don't know, organization. You're going to get hundreds of videos. It doesn't mean any one of them isn't worth the time that that person put in. You're going to like one and maybe not another. That's the normal thing that happens. So your idea just needs to have your view, your perspective, and people will connect with it. That's a wrap on episode number 14 of the Mic Drop Moment. My guest today was my partner in crime and so many things in life, Chloe DeVita. You can find out more about Chloe at perceptivepresence.com. She has all the different ways people work with her and her ideas about things. There are a bunch of helpful videos and trainings as well that you can check out. 
We will be back on episode number 16 for part two of this, where we dive deeper into how to actually work on your talk, how to write your talk, whether to include stories or data or how much of each of them. We'll talk about rehearsing, memorizing, and leveraging your talk. So definitely check out part two, which will happen on episode number 16 of the Mic Drop Moment. As always, I super, super appreciate your time, your energy, your earbuds for the little bit of time that we took on this episode. I hope it was helpful. And I will see you on the next episode of the Mic Drop Moment. This episode has ended, but your journey doesn't have to. Head on over to MikeDenino.com. Access all the resources and links that Mike and his guests shared today. And keep on crafting your own story. That's MikeDenino.com. Your audience is waiting. Isn't it time to find your hashtag Mic Drop Moment? 